error I committed in seminary this week and let out a secret criticism of our sister congregation, our mother church. I forget the context, but I'm doing a class in pastoral theology and it somehow came up and I started saying something about different formats and services and whatnot. And and I started in and I said something about now in Winston, we're not like Greenville. And I just started a long list of really bad adjectives, mean, uh, stingy, I don't know where I was. And they started really getting puzzled looks and I said, they only let you sing one hymn of your requests. I mean, what's that about? Anyway, but I guess they had a preacher there for years that preached for two hours, and it would have really made it a marathon. So, But anyway, we're glad to sing all the stanzas and any stanzas that you give us. Uh, turn tonight, if you would, to Psalm 89, or excuse me, 81. Um, we were to have uh, Logan Elder to be speaking this evening. I had somewhat recently remembered that he was going to be here for the Youth College and Career Weekend. And I thought, well, we need to have this fellow preach for us here and kind of give a little update on their situation. But uh, it was decided in the week of prayer presbytery meetings, a week before last, that uh, his licensure would take place in the Greenville Church. And um, he had, I guess, been absent. There was some miscommunication, and I think what happened is there are parts of our presbytery meetings that are what are called closed session. Uh, In open session, anybody can be there, no problem. Closed session, well, that's where you start talking mean about churches and using all those adjectives that, no, no, no. Uh, Anyway, the students were out of the meeting for a little while, and uh, I think the details of that licensure service probably happened when... uh, Logan was not in the meeting, so Mr. Wagner spoke to him last Wednesday about uh, the ordination or the licensure service this Sunday. He said, I'm not going to be here Sunday. He said, yes, you are. You're going to be licensed. He said, oh. So I got this very sheepish phone call on Thursday. Uh, uh, Reverend Kimbrough, yeah, Logan, how's it going? Um, um, No problem, no problem. So anyway, so you're getting porridge, as Dr. Cairns used to say tonight, instead of a visiting speaker, but uh, hopefully, and I told Logan that before they make any move, which it's unknown what their next steps will be, but um, with his licensure, he is available, I guess, to uh, take a call and uh, pursue what work the Lord would have for him. So I just told him, well, before you do leave town, we will have you up for a Lord's Day and have you preach for us and give a little report to the people. So remember them in your prayers uh, and all those things that their future may hold. But and even pray tonight that the Lord will give good meeting there uh, for our brother. Psalm 81, we're continuing our little survey of the Psalms of Asaph, drawing somewhat near to the end of these, but coming tonight to this psalm. Psalm 81 to the chief musician upon Gittith, the psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. This He ordained in Joseph for a testimony when He went out through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed His shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. Thou callest me in trouble, and I delivered thee. 
I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee. O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me, there shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto Him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat, and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Well, amen. We trust the Lord to bless the public reading of His inspired Word. Let's do with this very psalm open before us. Bow our heads and hearts together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice to sing praises to a God who's worthy to be praised. Lord, we're grateful to have a song to sing. The news, the events of our nation and our culture come so rapidly and so harshly that we almost become numb to them. Lord, don't let us get used to such things. But how we marvel. Though this earth is filled with music, as it were, there is no song to sing. There is no rejoicing of heart because there is little knowledge of God. Lord, we have a new song in our mouths. Even praise unto our God. Let it be true for us as the psalmist continues. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. So let that song, Lord, let it not merely be in our lips, but in our hearts. And bless us even with this psalm. Lord, the encouragements and yet the challenges of it. We pray that we will go forth, Your Spirit, finding a place for this psalm in every heart. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've looked at these psalms of Asaph, there's some ways in which we could almost speak of Asaph as a divine historian. It's not only his psalms, there are other psalms as well, but Very often in his psalms, he takes note of Israel's history. He calls upon present-day Israel, if you will, to look back for Israel's past and either be encouraged or be rebuked and challenged. And of course, those things hold true for us as well. And so this divine historian, if you will, calls us tonight again with Israel of old to reflect upon their history. I was trying to remember today. I didn't ask Siri to look it up. Siri and I kind of only half on speaking terms. But 
the familiar phrase, if you will, not familiar enough for me to get every word, but those that forget their history, is it they're destined or they're doomed to repeat it? Well, there's a little truth in that uninspired proverb. And it's a truth like that that the psalm so often and Asaph so frequently as he does here tonight would call us to, would call Israel to, for Israel to forget her blessings. For Israel to forget her God and then be allured by the gods of the heathen and then to endure the hardship and the struggles that flow from that idolatry. Well, that's what the psalm brings us to this evening. If you look at the psalm, I think there are three particular headings, sections of the psalm that we could single out. The first five verses we could put under the heading of rejoice. And if you read through this section of the psalm, sing aloud unto God our strength, make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. There are echoes here and actually throughout the psalm of the, one of the most famous portions of Scripture, the song of Moses. That which Moses and the people sang in their deliverance from the Egyptians as they emerged free on the other side of the Red Sea. And here, Israel's reminded and called to such singing afresh, a joyful noise to the God of Jacob. And you even see the various titles of Israel. Jacob, Israel, Joseph, that are mentioned here in this opening section. And there's quite a catalog here of varied instruments. I don't want to try and go through those. I actually saw in one of the footnotes of my commentaries that one pointed to a particular research paper on what some of the various instruments that are recorded in the Psalter must have been. I mean, some are pretty clear, the harp and so forth, but all of these are encouraged before the people to take up, to sing, to praise. I don't want to pursue a long diversion this evening, but the singing of the Lord's people We have sought, I believe rightly, to emphasize congregational singing. That we are participants. That we're corporately, that we're together lifting our voices in praise to our God. Let us never lose sight of the privilege. The duty, yes, but the privilege of singing together. And men, remember, if whoever's leading the singing has the ladies do one verse and us do another, you better not let them win. I believe you can gauge a lot about a church, not merely by how everybody sings, but how the men sing. Real men aren't afraid to sing. Here, The people are called to rejoice. But when you come to the 6th verse, down to verse 10, here we're called upon to remember. And this is of course where the psalm in earnest, though it's echoed a little bit of the song of Moses, some of their history has already been there. But here's where in earnest it calls the people to look back. And if you look at how vividly it's described, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. 
hear these words. These are very practical terms. He's not calling them to remember their bondage in Egypt in an abstract way. He's calling them to remember their bondage in Egypt in a very vivid way. And of course, we know the exodus from Egypt, the Passover, and all that is wrapped up in that exodus is the greatest Old Testament type of redemption that we have. And I think it's fitting then to transfer Asaph's call for the people to remember the pots and the the hands that were wearied with labor. For them to remember the, the burdens that their shoulders had carried. It's good for us to remember the bondage of sin. I say often the phrase, let us never get used to being saved. If we ever lose the wonder, grace, as Newton so phrased it in his hymn, then we're in a dangerous place in our walk with the Lord. Now, I know that it isn't true that every Christian has the same testimony. Sometimes Christians struggle if they hear another believer give testimony and there's you know, kind of dramatic, exciting pieces of that testimony. We're not against the reports of remarkable workings of God in people's lives. But remember, if you were saved as a child in a believing home and in a Bible-preaching church and you were rescued beforehand from the depths of really outward and ugly open sins, It took just as much a miracle of grace. You're just as much a recipient of grace as the one that was in the deepest sins. Those that have been rescued from deep sin, often, and I think we have to be careful, I think sometimes the Arminian evangelical version of the church likes to romanticize or publicize such things. It's almost like the deeper you were in sin, the quicker you go to church leadership. And that's actually not the scriptural pattern. But it can draw a crowd, you know. Somebody tells a dramatic story. Well, that was on the side, but there are miracles of grace. There is the wonder of remembering the pit from which you were dug. And having that be a part of of daily rejoicing that you're not in that pit anymore. That the scars and the harm and the hurt that comes along with that is gone. Here Israel's called to remember the weariness, the burdens that they bore in Egypt are gone. But let me say a little bit to, and I think of so many of you young people here with us. If you've been living, don't take this negatively, I use it positively, a sheltered life, you may not have the, the depths of sin to remember and to thank God for pulling you out of them. But think of the grace of the gospel. And if you come to a point where the world would tempt you with sins, 
It might be the one saved out of those sins has a little more of a barrier. No, I know where that road leads. Been down there. No thanks. And you haven't yet seen the end of that path. It's just that shiny object that the world and the devil are dangling out there. Well, you might need to by faith, not by experience. By faith, by reading in God's Word, pondering over Solomon's Proverbs, know what the depths of bondage of sin really are. And avoid them beforehand. Thank God for deliverance from them beforehand. I think it is a valuable thing. It is part of Gospel thinking to know that sin leads to misery instead of happiness. That faithfulness to God is a path of rejoicing and happiness even in this life. Don't fall for the lie of the devil that Christians are miserable now because Christianity is no fun and the world has their fun now, but we get fun forever. That's just warped and wrong. If you have any wisdom at all to look across this world even with a cursory glance, there's misery written all over it. There's lack of fulfillment written all over it. Here the psalm calls Israel to remember. Remember the burdens. Remember the shoulders and the hands and the pots and the baskets. You see some of God's dealings with them. We'll hasten on here, but He speaks of Sinai, the thunders. And then He speaks of Meribah, as the Lord provided them their water in the wilderness. Education, if you will, by divine encounter. And then education by silence. Israel called upon to remember. And if you look at the things that are put before them, the things that belong to them in their days of obedience and faithfulness, the things as we see in the last section that they forfeit by their disobedience and their unfaithfulness. If you see the the things even of of Deuteronomy coming out here. The blessing of God, a calling out to that one God. The if-only sections of Deuteronomy echoed here in the psalm. Echoes of the Ten Commandments themselves. If you come down to the last phrase of verse 10, you see the sheer bounty that God had provided and that was still available for Israel. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. It doesn't say just open it in a narrow way and I'll put a little in. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. But when you come to verse 11, you see the Lord's commentary on Israel and Asaph's purpose really in calling Israel to remember. But my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would none of me. Israel grew to have a distaste for the voice of God. Now it's easy for us with hindsight and 
Bible in our hands to look at that and take a right view of it. But perhaps not see ourselves in the mirror when we're tempted in the very same way to not hear the voice of God, to shut out His voice. Israel is called here to repent. You look in verse 12, and if you're anticipating anything of our studies in Romans, there's a little bit of a threefold refrain almost from Romans 1 here. So I gave them up unto their own hearts' lust, and they walked in their own counsels. What a fearful thing for a privileged people a people that had heard the voice of God, a people that were recipients of the Word of God, to shut out that voice and listen to the voices of the world. To follow after the fleshly inclinations of their own hearts. All the downward spiral of where it leads. God's heart is for them. If you look in verse 13, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies. You see here almost a harbinger of our Lord's prayer over Jerusalem, that last descent of the Mount of Olives. As He wept over the city, how oft would I have gathered thee? As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but she would not. The call for Israel here is to repent. I was reading Spurgeon's comments on the psalm, and he waxed into, well, it's not a rare thing for him to wax into eloquence, but I thought instead of fashioning my own thoughts, I'd read you a few thoughts tonight from Spurgeon's words because Although this isn't a sermon, it's his commentary. It's quite sermonic indeed. So if you would patiently bear with me and listen to the preaching of another, Scriptures intermingled in as he carries them through, I should soon have subdued their enemies. As he did in Egypt overthrow Pharaoh, so would he have baffled every enemy and turned my hand against their adversaries. He would have smitten them once and then have dealt them a return blow with the back of His hand. See what we lose by sin. Our enemies find the sharpest weapons against us in the armory of our transgressions. They could never overthrow us us if we did not first overthrow ourselves. Sin strips a man of his armor and leaves him naked to his enemies. Our doubts and fears would long ago have been slain if we had been more faithful to our God. Ten thousand evils which afflict us now would would have been driven far from us if we had been more jealous of holiness in our walk and our conversation. We ought to consider not only what sin takes from our present stock, but what it prevents our gaining. Reflection will show that sin always costs us dear. If we depart from God, our inward corruptions are sure to make a rebellion. Satan will assail us. The world will worry us. Doubts will annoy us. 
and all through our own fault. Solomon's departure from God raised up enemies against him, and it will be so with us. But if our ways please the Lord, He'll make even our enemies to be at peace with us. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto Him. Though the submission would have been false and flattering, yet the enemies of Israel would have been so humiliated that they would have hastened to make terms with the favored tribes. Our enemies become abashed and cowardly when we with resolution walk carefully with the Lord. It is in God's power to keep the fiercest in check, and He will do so if we have a filial fear, a pious awe of Him. But their time should have endured forever. The people would have been firmly established and their prosperity would have been stable. Nothing confirms a state or a church like holiness. If we be firm in obedience, we shall be firm in happiness. Righteousness establishes sin ruins. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat. Famine would have been an unknown word. They would have been fed on the best of the best food and have had an abundance of it as their everyday diet. And with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. Luxuries as well as necessities would be forthcoming. The very rocks of the land would yield abundant and sweet supplies. The bees would store the clefts of the rocks with luscious honey and so turn the most sterile part of the land to good account. The Lord can do great things for an obedient people. When His people walk in the light of His countenance and maintain unsullied holiness, the joy and consolation which He yields them are beyond conception. To them the joys of heaven have begun even upon earth. They can sing in the ways of the Lord. The spring of eternal summer is commenced. They are already blessed and they look for brighter things. This shows us by contrast how sad a thing it is for a child of God to sell himself into captivity to sin and bring his soul into a state of famine by following another God. O Lord, forever bind us to Thyself alone and keep us faithful unto the end. I do not believe Spurgeon was advocating the prosperity gospel of our current generation and all the the promises of the televangelists. Just send them a little money first and the Lord will be sending you some later. Well, a lot of sad stories about how that's worked out. But of course we know Israel's experience, even those earthly blessings, earthly prosperities, are figures of a far greater thing. The blessings of the Gospel. The encouragements and the joys, even the earthly joys of the people of God. Joys that can endure hardship. Joys that can endure literal famine when the manna of heaven is food for the soul. Sadly, almost inexplicably, we read Israel's history. We read Israel called upon to read and understand their own history. Sadly, almost inexplicably, 
We read the history of the New Testament church. And we see the ebb and flow of blessing, of spiritual prosperity. We've even seen days of material blessing that have followed such faithfulness. And then we see how quickly as Israel were turned out of the way. We fail to rejoice. We fail to remember. And then we're called upon to repent. Here are words for young and old. Words that would have each of us with gospel hearts, with honest discernment, ask, are we ever as Israel growing weary of His voice? Of His Word? Ready to listen and just test out something else? If anything else allures us from the Word of God, if anything else allures us from the Gospel, it shows that our understanding, our grasp of that Gospel has long away faded. Because if we're perceiving it aright, if we are indeed seeing Christ in the book, then we know none but Christ can satisfy. And what an awful thing to forget Him. To grow weary of His words and His presence and then reap the sad fruits of listening to others and His presence being withdrawn. I trust the Lord will help us Asaph, as we've said, often hits the minor key, but with the gospel purpose of always calling us back. Rejoice. Remember. And if need be, repent. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, tonight we come thankful for this song of Israel that we might hear and heed. Give us to rejoice in the truth and the wonder and the power of the Gospel so that the, the world's loud din, as we call it in song often, or that it would just fade. Fade from our hearing. That we might be a people most satisfied with the eternal blessings of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless Your Word to us this night. Bless the singing and fellowship of the service that follows. And Lord, give great benefit for the extra fellowship and meetings around Your Word and even the activities together for the young people in these days. We pray these things with thanksgiving. In Jesus' worthy name, Amen.